You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Partigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe. And more importantly, and more appropriately, happy anniversary. I don't know whether you've been keeping track, but it was February 2010 when we first met at the Venetian in Las Vegas on the North American Poker Tour. That's right, buddy. We've now officially been working together for a decade. What's the decade anniversary? What gift is that? Hold on. 10th. I should be doing this at the start of the show, but I'm curious now. 10th anniversary gift is what? The ability to... Aluminum. It's perfect. It's aluminum. (laughs) The real prize is that you get to come back and do another year of podcasts with me. James, what the fuck season are we in? I'm not keeping track of what season we're in, but this is officially our sixth year. This is our sixth calendar year doing this podcast? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yes, we launched in March 2015. This is episode 171 of this show, my babies. Coming up on today's show, time to catch up a a little. We can't possibly catch up on the past two months and a bit in one episode. So we're going to do it a little at a time. And that's what we call stretching content. (laughs) I have had time to play some live poker, some VR poker since we last spake. Uh, James played two poker tournaments in Vegas. He made two final tables. There's a little asterisk on that one. There's something fishy about that stat. Uh, He's going (laughs) to tell us about that. I've played some small tournaments. I've hosted some home games. I've played in some other people's interesting home games. uh, One of which was in the home of prolific and i cannot even stress the word prolific enough film commercial and music video director joseph khan and joseph has agreed to be our guest today i am pretty excited about that and obviously before you booked this guy joe i was aware of him but it was only when i started doing research for today and you look at his imdb credits and you look at some of the videos that he's made you realize oh my god just how prolific and also how iconic so much of his output is yeah absolutely in fact that's the name of the dumb i can't dumb game i came up with it was joseph iconic actually that's Hold not on. bad that's not yeah, bad at not all bad. Something iconic. I can't remember. We'll get there in a bit. Yeah. So just to rattle off a few, uh, I'm I, I'm going to um, rattle off just a couple of the bands he has done music videos for. Eminem, Mariah Carey, Muse, U2, The Jonas Brothers, Taylor Swift, Britney Spears. Uh, just absolutely one of these guys who's you can't believe he's not a household name. I mean, some of the videos he's done. Katy Perry's Waking Up in Vegas. Uh, Hero. That video with Mickey Rourke and Jennifer Love Hewitt and pretty much every song that Taylor Swift released from the 1989 album, including Blank Space, which when I checked this morning, has had 2.5 billion views on YouTube. Yeah, it's insane. Like, I, you know, I was actually thinking about that. Wait, wait, we're still in the coming up in the show. Moving on, moving <laughs> on. Um, I, I, I think I did something really dumb in my home game. I'd like to tell you guys about that. I think I ruined a relationship with one of my heroes. Um and speaking of which, I also got a big fight with Norm over poker on the road in a tournament in Columbus, Ohio. So I'm going to try to tell you guys about that. There's so much to unpack in that one sentence. Yeah. I mean, we got to go all the way back uh, to December and unpack from Prague 
and talk about Christmas and New Year. We have got a lot to do. Well, that's what happens when you don't do a podcast between the end of November and the beginning of February. Yeah, it's a lot of time to cover. We uh, Superfan versus Stapes back, obviously, 10 poll here on the show. Alex Sadler, he is that super fan. He is doing Interstellar, a movie I did not like and I did not rewatch. Okay, I'm not going to get into this now. We'll have this conversation later. Suffice to say, I respect your opinion, but you are wrong. <laughs> I will say this, that if I had had the time, I would have tried to give it a watch again. But I did want to watch Joseph Kahn's latest movie again. Um the most important thing to talk about before we get into it and go through everything that's happened in the last few months is what's happened in the last week, which is that we have officially launched the new range of Poker in the Ears merch on the Stars Store. Uh, did tweet about this last week yeah. with a link to the Stars Store with a couple of shots of a couple of the designs. We put some of our dumb catchphrases on T-shirts plus the podcast logo. These are going to be the prizes from here on out when we do Superfan versus Stapes along with the satellite tickets, but they are also available to buy. So if you want to be part of the Poker in the Ears community, if you'd like to wear, I think they're quite cute designs, actually. I think the guys who designed them have done a really good job. Um, but yes, if you'd like to wear a catchphrase from the show, check them out. There is one for Always Coming 7. There is one for Everyone Loves a Chop Pot. And of course, Joe's signature intro, Hello, my babies, and sign off, smell you later, also on T-shirts. And I tell you what, if these are successful, if these take off, if people are interested in this kind of stuff, maybe we'll expand the range, um, maybe extra catchphrases, but also extra stuff, maybe baseball caps, mugs, you know, hoodies maybe. Okay, so you did, I, I, obviously the tweet was a joke. You said that we were going to have to sell a certain number of them for me to get paid. <laughs> Uh, half I, joking, um, right? Half no, joking. So, no. but 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 sales of these would be beneficial to us in some way. You're saying if the sales are beneficial, it means that we will make more stuff and increase our presence as a brand. Cool. Well, I will continue to shell to shill them. Uh, I guess we should now rewind, James, all the way back to. I mean, this is going to be tough for me to remember everything. So fuck knows what we're going to get out of you by no, going yeah, back to the you're, start. You're going to handle this. You're going to handle the Vegas trip. The start of December and waking up in Vegas, slipping in a Joseph Kahn reference there. Um, yeah, Joe and I were in Vegas for a week in early December. It's the first time I've been there since 2012. So it was my first trip in seven wow. years. And I know that you've done so many trips you can't even keep track anymore. Um, we did have the joy of staying at the Rio, which despite being the venue for the World Series of Poker is a Vegas resort, which is a little bit past its sell-by date. Resort? <laughs> and, and to say it was a surreal experience is putting it mildly because there were two big things in town while we were there. One was an Amazon Web Service convention. So the hotel was full of nerds. But there was also a rodeo competition, so the resort was full of cowboys. So It wasn't just the resort, by the way. It was every hotel in the entire city was taken over by cowboys. And the one thing I noticed was that the cowboys, they're not like movie cowboys. Like, they weren't gentlemen. They're just, like, fat <laughs> assholes. It was a really surreal experience to be standing in line at Starbucks and literally everyone around you, in front of you, behind of you, and to the side of you has got a Stetson on. It was just utterly weird. Um, but, you know, it was good to go back. I'm glad I had that break, to be honest with you, because I think it made me appreciate Vegas all the more. 
And I was also introduced to the game of Ultimate Texas Hold'em. I know this is a table game that you've played before. Oh, I'd so never good. played it. And Bruce Baggles, our long-term director of photography, three-time Aussie Cameraman of the Year winner, introduced me to this table game, and I love it. This is the new Pi Gal for me. Pi Gal, so 2014. This is now where it's at if it's going to be casino games for me. That's because you have the bankroll now to withstand Ultimate Texas Hold'em. You can take... The, the money goes a lot faster. It does. In Ultimate Texas it does. Hold'em. But when you win, they stack chips for quite a while. I, I love this game. I think I ended up playing till 3, 4 in the morning the last night we were there. And uh, my poor girlfriend was doing her best impression of, of many girlfriends on the rail. Uh, she's standing behind me going, when can we leave? It's one more hand. It's one more hand. <laughs> My hand's coming. One more hand. Because I was going to say, the, the, the thing why, the reason why table games work uh, in Vegas when you're with a group of people is because you can all sit together and you can all play and you're all playing against the common enemy, which is the house. The problem with playing Fuck poker, you, house! whether you're playing a cash game or whether you're playing an MTT in Vegas, is that the chance of you being on the same table are, are slim. And, you know, there's always that rivalry where you can't really play together. So if there's a large group of you, it's really hard to play traditional poker rather than a poker version, which has been bastardized into one of these table games. Yes, and you could potentially, although the odds are against you, all win. Whereas if you play a tournament together... yeah. You are kind of rooting against each other, especially if you're playing exactly. pots when you're all the ultimate Texas Hold'em table. When they put uh, quad aces out on the board, everybody's a winner. Precisely. So having said that, I decided to be an antisocial bastard and play a poker tournament. In fact, I played two. Now, one of them was on a Sunday afternoon. I think you'd only just flown into town, so this didn't really kind of disturb you. And I naively thought that the Sunday afternoon... $65 entry event at the Rio would be... The Sundays. you got to play the Sundays. A relatively well-populated affair. The fact that the start time had to be pushed by 20 minutes due to lack of interest should have told me everything I needed to know. Yes, I made the final table because this was a single table tournament at the Rio, <laughs> which I think had a grand total of seven unique players and maybe nine, including re-entries, which means it paid top three... And I did make the top four. We were on the bubble. But at this point, the re-entry period was still not over. So a guy <laughs> I just knocked out, bought back in, doubled up the first hand he played, and then eliminated me. <laughs> and you couldn't re-enter. At that point, the re-entry period was over. They were then on the pure bubble, which I had been on, but then wasn't on anymore due to this late re-entry. That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. And God, I wish this had happened or you could have weighed in on the, like the re-entry debate that went on while we were down and you could have been like, <laughs> okay, let's talk about re-entries. And the second, only the second poker game I played uh, in Vegas was also not without controversy. Now this was a much better experience and a much more traditional Vegas poker tourney. This was our last night that Joe's already referenced. Uh, I decided to play the 7pm nightly at Aria, which is my favorite poker room 
on the strip and it was a $140 buy-in and I naively thought that this was, wasn't going to quite be the fast of the event I played at the Rio, but I did think this was going to be like a three to four hour MTT. But better though, but better that it wasn't going to be that fast. Like sure. you want a little bit of play. Of That's course. the whole point of playing I, a tournament I expected, is you want to touch chips for a while. I expected there to be a bit of play. I didn't expect it to be as well structured as it was. This is not a criticism because it was awesome. But it was a four-day daily. <laughs> on a Friday night, when you've got friends in town and you're all meant to be hanging out because it's your last t- last chance to kind of, you know, grab a drink and catch up, I did feel a bit like, oh. And, guys, I'm going to join you later. You go and have dinner together. I'll, I'll catch... Oh, no, you're moving on now. Okay, I'll catch up with you later. I mean, you start super deep. I mean, I think it's a 200 big blind starting stack and the blinds go up every... 20 minutes and they're very gradual increases there's a lot of play in this and it was so much fun to play i really enjoyed the experience but to cut a very long story short it was 1 a.m when we finally got down to the final table at which point i think already uh the rest of the team were flagging we know how long a final table can take to play out exactly so the final table is the final nine and i think with about 75 total entries they were paying top seven and with nine players remaining at the start of the final table a super short stack went out very quickly everyone was then there was no one who was at immediate risk of elimination and the bubble took several orbits um during which time there were numerous conversations and suggestions that we could do a saver for the bubble that everyone could put in twenty dollars sadly there was a rather drunken chap at the table called jeff who had spent every last dollar he had buying into this event, <laughs> therefore was unable to actually contribute to the saver and therefore James. vetoed the saver. James, are you Jeff? I am not Jeff. Jeff, <laughs> this is this is not, by the way, using an alias to uh, to, to, to spare this actually No, no, no. <laughs> Jeff is a real guy. And okay. Jeff was so self-aware of how drunk he was, he was watering down his own drinks. <laughs> After uh, an Australian chap finally goes out in eighth and the bubble bursts, everyone is in the money. And this is a situation you don't really get to. Um, Yes, it's quite common in these one-day nightlies for everyone to be pretty shallow by the time you're down to the final seven. And the average stack is around 15 to 20 bigs rather than 30 to 40. But what is uncommon is that the chip distribution was incredibly even. There was no big stack. There was no super short stack. Everyone had that 15 to 20 big blind range. And someone pointed at the clock where they show you what a chop is currently worth. And with around $7,000 um, in the prize pool, everyone was guaranteed, I think, 1005 If we split it evenly, seven ways, $1,005. Shit, that's and to good. put this into perspective, Joe... Third place prize money on the advertised payouts was 950. So Holy shit. If you were to chop this seven ways, everyone would get better than third place money. And I actually thought that was a pretty good deal. And the other Do you thing- think it's the prize pool is structured like that for specifically to encourage deals? I don't know whether it is. We know that most MTTs are pretty top heavy, and this was no exception. The the number yeah. one spot in particular. Um but the fact that they do publish on the clock what an even chop is worth at any time means that they probably are quite keen to facilitate deals. And quite frankly, we'd all been playing since 7 a.m. with no dinner break. It's now 7 p.m. Hold on, 7 p.m. And it's now 2 a.m. 
And I think everyone's pretty tired. A lot of us, have, there's, there's two Brits at the table. We've got flights home the next day. Uh, there's one guy who wants to drive back to his home in Henderson. There's another guy who's not in a dissimilar situation to the one you found yourself in, where his wife's behind him, clock watching, saying, can this come to an end? So six out of the seven players at the table, including myself, really like the idea of doing the seven-way chop. Jeff, uh-uh. Jeff did not want to do a deal because oh, Jeff couldn't yeah. get his head around how much he would make from the deal. No matter how many times you tried to explain, Jeff, everyone gets $1,005. How much do I get? Jeff, <laughs> everyone, including you, gets $1,005. And after 40 to 45 minutes of going around the houses again and again, trying to persuade Jeff to do this deal, the only way he would agree to do a deal was if everyone at the table agreed to do a shot. Yes, Jeff. I love Jeff. Except there were a couple of us who really didn't want to do a shot, but I wasn't going to let that get in the way of doing this deal. So I basically... If there's one thing that can get James to do a shot, it's money. (laughs) So when the tequila finally arrives, I find a way of just kind of like making sure that gets passed to the side. Um, At which point... Did you Weinstein it into a potted plant? uh, No, actually. I I poured it into Jeff's glass. Um, (laughs) He wasn't going to notice... He was already, you know, so far gone. He'd knocked his beer over the table and, and drenched the entire oh, he felt. One, then. Uh, so all I will say is these deal negotiations to chop a 140 nightly aria for 1K each was the most painful thing I have seen <laughs> in all of the deal negotiations we have witnessed Fra- in our Fraser time. Did Fraser McIntyre come out? And- <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you can have a saver. Uh But no, so the deal eventually got done. So yes, that was my genuine final table appearance. That was my genuine decent result, which was a very good last night in Vegas. And you got, uh, you get a Hennin mom for that, don't you? Yeah, I think I got officially assigned sixth place, which, you know, I don't care. Everyone effectively was joint equal, but, you know, I'll take it. I felt bad that night because I told you I was going to play. And then I started to think about the reality of a tournament wherein that, Best case scenario, yeah. you finish at, you know, two o'clock in the morning and all your friends have gone to bed already. And I was like, ah, I'm sorry. I think I'm just going to go, you know, because my girlfriend had come to town. So I was just like, I'm just going to go do normal stuff. But it was best case scenario for you because you missed out on the night, but at least you won. Like, you know, it couldn't have really worked out much better than that. Yes. I think, you know, to play that long for a thousand dollars, I'll take it. Shame I missed out on the last night, but it's not like we hadn't got to hang out and do fun stuff the rest of our time. We had spent plenty of time together. Uh, I I've been to Vegas like five times since then. (laughs) And the last time, I don't even think that's an exaggeration. The last time I was there doing two different streaming jobs, I believe I was on air for 60 of the 72 hours that I was in Las Vegas. Man, I do not envy you. I think back. I think back to those days in 2012 when I was on the live grind, just doing every single stream going. And the EPT had like 14 events a year and I was doing other tours as well. And, you know, it was fun while it lasted, but I don't miss it. And I'm just too old now to even cope with that. It's tough. Like, luckily, I think streaming is a little bit different where I can do some stuff from home or wherever I'm at so that if I was traveling to do all the stuff I was doing, I'd probably be dead. So but we did travel not too long after that, like a week later, we ended up going to Prague. It's really weird, actually, because I think we I flew to Vegas on the 30th of November. I was back home in the UK for one day, flew to Prague, came back from Prague and then went to Finland for Christmas. So I spent one day 
uh, in December, actually at home in London. But yes, we weren't sure if Prague was going to happen. It did happen because uh, I think it's been well publicized that uh, Leon Chikernik has bought the Atrium Casino in Prague. Leon is the guy who owns Kings in Rosvedov. Oh, yeah. And so they have the live stream set up at Kings and he offered to put that production on uh, and ship the kit uh, to the capital, to Prague. And so we were able to do a live stream and showcase this event. And probably a good thing that we did because for only the second time in European Poker Tour history, oh we had a double God, champ. I, for I forgot this even happened until right now. <laughs> who did you it think won? I, I, first of all, I didn't remember who won. But now I'm like, oh my God, it was the second two-time champ. No surprise, Vicky's out of retirement now. She's playing poker over the weekend, I'm reading on Twitter. So, um, yes, that right. It was history. It really was uh, history for the second time. Can you remember who that winner was, Joe? I do remember now that you say it, yes. Yes, Nikolai Pabal, uh, yeah, the guy who um, beat the Finns in Barcelona back in 2012. Um, triumph to what was... Look, it was a very talented final table. There was some very strong play. Uh, Pabal played seemingly flawlessly throughout and of course got lucky in a few spots as I think you have to at a final table but yes only the second player in history to have won two EPT titles I remember I messed up something really bad during the trophy presentation but because Bruce Baggles wasn't there they didn't catch it I remember <laughs> watching it back and being like oh thank god they didn't see that uh so on the final night in Prague yeah I was all fired up and ready to go to go to the um the dealers party there's always like a big party that yeah. the dealers throw at the end and then it got to be late and i had a really hellish day ahead of me the next day i was like landing in new york and going straight to a poker game um and i wasn't gonna get i was you know it's gonna be like another 24 hour day for me so i just decided to not go did you go to that party i tried to this is a weird thing right what's happened here where like, you're yeah. the boring one and i'm the one going out partying <laughs> yeah, um, that's weird <laughs> it's like Freaky Friday. Uh, but no, we, we tried. We, we couldn't. We, we went to the bar where we thought they were going to be. They weren't there. Went to the other bar where they were then meant to be moving on to afterwards. They weren't there. And that's we ended up back at the hotel having a drink there. Do you there. think they gave me a fake invitation because they didn't really want me to go? I genuinely think we were out too early. I don't think they were going to get uh, started okay. till like 1 or 2 a.m. Many of them Got were it. still working, of course, because just because the main event's wrapped doesn't mean that the festival right. is finished. Um it was uh, on my way back, by the way, after walking the streets of Prague, trying to find people to party with. Um, I almost tripped over the world's biggest rat, which was lying dead in the street. Oh. Yeah. Not a, not a particularly pleasant experience. The rat was lying dead in the street, and there was also an overturned car that had hit it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the advantage, by the way, of just coming back to the hotel and having one last drink before going to bed is that I was compass mentis in the morning and was able to rescue your iPad. Thank you. It wasn't even my iPad. It was my girlfriend's that I had borrowed because I left my iPad somewhere else. <laughs> so last you, hour I was you in have New York previous for abandoning iPads in hotel rooms. It was at my brother's house, but yeah, so it had been sitting at his house for the last few months. I borrowed my girlfriend's, left that in Prague. Thank you for picking that up. Uh, I just got that back like three days ago um, because stuff gets stolen from my apartment, so I didn't want uh, anyone to mail it back when I might not be here. So that did make it back. Thank you. Um, right after that was the holidays. I think I'm going to skip any holiday talk for right now uh, just in the interest of time and it's kind of a blur. I don't even know if I have a good story from the holidays, but they were decent. Yeah, I, I, I had fun. And I guess the holidays kind of rolls into the month of January as well, I guess, with everything that's been going on. And you, 
Well, I, how weird was it not going to the Bahamas? Well, that's what I was going to say. The first thing is that I know a lot of people will say, how are you not talking about Star Wars right now? Simple. The Rise of Skywalker came out. Joe and I both saw it on the same day, in fact, in different countries. We'll review it next week. Okay, we're going to do a movie special next week. I've yeah, also, been, I've also been playing a lot of Jedi Fallen Order. I've been watching the NFL playoffs. Stayed up for the Super Bowl. Did not go the way I wanted it to, but it was still a very good game and arguably the better team won, so I can't complain. But yes, the month of January was really weird and that's what highlighted it to me, Joe, was Wild Card Weekend is on and I'm watching the NFL at home and I'm like, I've not done this since January 2007. It was weird not standing in Virgil's watching it. Yeah, completely. I mean, when you consider that that two weeks at the PCA, at the Atlantis Resort, has been a part of my life now since 2008 onwards. It was really weird, and I never thought I'd miss it as badly as I actually did. Yeah, I didn't get my fill of, like, breathing in moldy carpet next to the ocean. That's really... (laughs) I did miss that smell. Like, I found myself missing that sort of ocean wet smell. Um, Do we have time to go over any of this recent poker action, or should we save it? Of of course we do. This is is very important. We need... We we heard anecdotes of my poker experiences. Um, Am I right in thinking that you thought it would be a good idea to stream poker at the same time as the Super Bowl? Well, it wasn't my idea. The, the VRPT was happening on the same day as the Super Bowl. I was asked to play it, and of course, I like to oblige the VR community because I genuinely do think that the Poker Stars VR is super fun, and I like to stream it. And somehow they got Moneymaker to do it, too. He was seated right next to me at my table. Um, but hilariously, I don't remember last year, uh, ESPN was running World Series of Poker highlights up against the Super Bowl. That's right. And now this year I decided to stream up against the Super Bowl. Not great, Bob. Isn't the definition of insanity making the (laughs) same mistake again and again, expecting a different outcome? Yeah, it could be. Uh, Luckily, the outcome was slightly different in this case where I didn't finish runner-up. I finished runner-up the last couple of events I played. This one I was first out. And I was like, you know what? This is a sign. I'm going to go watch the Super Bowl, have fun. I ended up going... Uh, to watch it at this guy named Reagan Silber's place. I may have mentioned him on the podcast before. Reagan was one of the original players in Molly's game. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, so it was like a lot of high-stakes gambling going on in the room, uh, which was pretty interesting. See, I wasn't sure whether you were actually watching it because every time I was messaging you about something that happened or, uh, or a commercial, I'd be like, I'm not watching it yet. Uh, I'm not watching I it yet. I arrived at halftime at his okay. place, and I didn't have it on until then. Uh, interesting halftime discussions happening. Uh, you guys are going to think this is odd. I did think that the uh, the halftime show was a little bit too risque for a family audience. I thought it was great. Like, I loved it as an adult. Uh, I thought it was uh, very well done. I liked the music. I liked the choreography. For folks out there saying you know what? Maybe this is like a little too much for children watching. I kind of, I'm a, I, I think that there's something to that. Um, but I thought it was awesome. I really did like it and I don't have kids, so I didn't really give a fuck, but, uh, I played in a bunch of home games. I played in this esports home game, um, with all these guys that live and work here in LA in the esports industry. It was a $1, $2 game. And when I showed up, I showed up at midnight. So I was a little late. The smallest stack had $2,500 in front of them. Oh, Jesus. This was a 10-handed game. 
Adam Levy, our last guest on the show, was in this game. He had $4,500 in front of him. In a 1-2 game. In a 1-2 game. So I bought in for $600. I was expecting to buy him for three, right? Yeah, absolutely. I bought in for every dollar I had in my pocket, $600. Slowly built it up to $900. Flopped a set, middle set of sevens, against a guy who had raised with 6-8. And... The dude made us straight on the turn. We got it all in on the flop, obviously. And uh, that was it for me. I played basically one hand. Um, you know, I won a few sp- small pots here and there. That really hurt. Um, then the next day, I went and played in Joseph Kahn's home game. And Joseph plays with, like, a bunch of sweet dads. Like, it's not like a like the kind of poker game I'm used to. So that's a 1-2 game. And the initial buy-in is 60 and you can only reload for a hundred. Okay, that's much more reasonable. Talk about two ends of the spectrum. It's like yes. sixty dollar buy-in, twenty five hundred dollar buy-in, and it's yeah, the same it's stakes. Same exact stakes, and I lost so much money in Joseph's home game that he promised that he would like try to help my career. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, is that how we got him on the podcast this week? Yes, because exactly. He, he basically, he felt paid so him bad to be on the me. show via donations in his home game. I lost five buy-ins. Well, six if you count the 60 to start with. And I lost, I won exactly zero all-ins. Oh, man. So, and I went, I went from probably around when you and I saw each other in December until about three days ago without having a winning session of poker. Oh, my God. And I could tell my girlfriend was getting to the point where she doesn't know if she needs to intervene. Cause I'll come home and I'll go, she'll go, did you win? I'll go, no. And she'll go, well, how much did you lose? And I'll be like 600. How much is it? 500. And I can tell in her, in her eyes, she's like, do I need to, um, step in here? Like, do I need to say something about this? And so luckily I did eventually book a win. I played a, in addition to this, I played a $100 nightly in Ohio. Norm and I end up playing all these casinos now. Right. And this is Norm McDonald, by the way, for yes. those of you not familiar with Joe's celebrity friends. So, well, he's now my celebrity boss also because, you know, I'm the, on the road. He's technically I'm working for him. So we play these casinos and we played one at the end of December and we played one uh, last week that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, and so there's not much to do but go to the casino. And so we we play this hundred dollar nightly and. There's two tables left, and I get it in. I'm like the the overwhelming chip leader at my table. Like I'm just bossing this table all day. It's like the kind of thing you dream about as like having a little bit of poker knowledge and then playing uh, at a ta- at a tournament like this. So I've got this big stack, and I I managed to get this guy to get it in bad pre flop with pocket nines. I get him to shove on me. I have aces, and uh, he flops a nine. He's the second biggest stack at the table. And I lose this huge pot for what would have been like the entire tournament chip lead. And as he's stacking my chips, Norm comes over to tell me that he just had his queens cracked by tens. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, I just uh, I actually just had my aces cracked. And he gets so mad that I don't give him the sympathy that he wants that he storms away. 
Okay. And I'm like, I'm, in, I'm literally in the middle of my own bad beat, Norm. Like, give me a minute. So I go back over to his table. He's not out. I'm not out. And then we proceed to get in an argument over which beat was worse. To which I contend, Queen's Cracked by Tens is not a worse beat than Ace's Cracked by Nine. Strictly speaking, they are exactly the same. They are the same, but mentally and emotionally, no, Aces because is worse. No, no, no. I don't think it is because if queens, <clears throat> if queens lose because an overcard hits, right? That's different. If queens lose because an underpair gets there, that's exactly the same as aces losing when an underpair gets there. It's not though, because when you get it in, in that moment where you get it in, you're with aces. There's no hand that you're disappointed to see. Whereas queens, you might be up against kings or aces. Right. I you're, see what you're saying. But the point is, at the point the cards go on their backs, and you yes. realize, I have an overpair. Mathematically Mathematically, the same. it is the same. And in the interest of making peace and not upsetting your friend slash boss, I think the sensible thing to do would be say, it's the same. Uh, no, no. I fought tooth and nail that it was worse. Right. And then and, I went to and, go... and how's that working out for you? How's your comedy career doing these days? I went, <laughs> I went to go tweet like a, like a poll, like, which is worse? And I asked him which position he was in. And he was like, why are you asking me that? And I was like, what? what don't you know what position is? And then we got like in a oh really my God. catty because we were both like just salty about it and being shitty to each other. Um, and we ended up working out that night. I finished eighth in that tournament. Uh, this was really pathetic, man. One hundred dollar buy in. I've paid 12 paces, places. I finished eighth. Two hundred and forty five dollars. Oh, that's shit. Just absolute garbage. No Just one interested horrible. in doing an eight-way chop? You know what? I was thinking of it because I it was a similar situation where, you know, everyone had... Look, I was playing a probably 12-big blind stack like it was a 30-big blind stack. Like, I was taking flops and, um, you know, in position or whatever in the big blind. And uh, basically, I was so salty over this that the the next... Not the next day, but the day we flew home... Norm did this bit where uh, we're on the plane and he's in the aisle seat. I'm in the middle seat and the window is open and he keeps telling me to move over. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to move over until they close the door to the plane. Yeah, because like, there not could be someone be... sitting there. You don't want to have exactly. the awkward conversation. Oh, you're in my seat. Exactly. So like Norm's and then they close the door of the plane. And then it's like, I told you so from Norm. I told you the seat was going to be empty. Why don't you move over? And then as I'm moving over, he leans over to the woman next to him and pretends like I'm a stranger that wouldn't move over. <laughs> and the woman looks at me and she's like, why didn't you just move over? And I leaned over and I just went, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I was so just in like I had been I was tired and traveling and Norm was on my nerves. And I told a stranger, I told a lady to fuck off. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. That's um, how my comedy career is going. Great. Uh, just before we introduce our much-hyped guest, you did hint at the start of the show that you did something dumb in a home game. Oh, God, yes. Oh, sorry, I forgot. So um, I know that this name doesn't mean much to you, but I have mentioned him on the show. David Wayne had been threatening to come to my home game uh, for months. You know, he's been like, oh, I'll be there, and then canceling, or oh, I'm busy. And he ended up coming, and he's good friends with Josh Molina. Now, David RSVP'd, Josh didn't. 
So I was like really stressed out, like, oh, he's not going to know anyone. I got to have cool people there. And it was kind of an awkward group of people where the game was like not as lively as it usually is. And then my manager showed up and my manager acted like he knew David, but I wasn't sure, so sure that David knew him. Like I wasn't getting a big recognition from him. So as my manager as David's like, I got to leave early. He leaves around nine 30 as he's leaving. My manager had been asking about his new TV show. And, uh, my manager said, Hey, when can I come visit set? Now, part of the advice that Joseph Kahn had given me previously was that I need to be more aggressive in asking for things and in trying to advance myself. You know, that's not me, right? As much as I pretend like it on the show, I don't ask people for things. I don't bother people. So when my manager says to David, when can I come to set? David says, whenever I go, Hey, when he comes, can I come? (gasps) And David just, his shoulders slumped. His face got weird. He goes, yeah, I guess. And left just sort of, he didn't storm out, but just, yeah, James is cringing right now. And I, I can feel exactly what that moment was like immediately regretted it. Like just felt sick. I couldn't sleep later. I was like, should I email him and be like, I'm sorry. That was out of line. I shouldn't have done that. And basically what everyone has told me is it's probably not that big of a deal, but it felt like it at the time. And you just still feel, I still feel terrible about it. So, and he did not reply to my invite. Oh, for this week's game. So I really just, I've got that hot stomach, you know, that hot stomach you get when you fuck something up. Well, I think we need to speak to the man who's clearly to blame for this moment because he offered you (laughs) duff advice. Uh, Thrilled to have a huge Hollywood name on this week's episode of Poker in the Ears, our first guest of 2020. Please welcome to the show, music, commercial and film director, Joseph Kahn. Hello, Joseph. Hi, nice to be here. Nice to be here. Nice to meet you. Very early. I might not be speaking uh, coherently, but here we are. <laughs> That's okay. We're very happy to have you. We appreciate it. Thanks for getting up for us. Uh, I guess um, a good place to start would be, uh, aren't, aren't you a, a director? Don't you have to get up early? Uh, when I shoot and when I have to scout. But, you know, surprisingly, that only happens a couple times a, a month. Uh, and the rest of the month, I am uh, staying as late as I want to stay uh, because I'm a creative person. Yeah, well, it seems like that would uh, link up well with the lifestyle of a poker player as well. Can you just start us off with where poker started for you? I mean, I played, I mean, I'm Asian, so I've been playing cards since I was like (laughs) six months old. Um, And uh, it's just something I've been doing all my life. Uh, Hold'em, I didn't start playing until like like in the 2000s or something when a degenerate friend of mine came into my house and said, you got to play this thing. And uh, I just got hooked. And just and I you know as soon as I, I started playing it it was right at the the height of the poker boom at that point with the you know World Series of Poker and uh, WPT on TV all the time and um, once you started watching those shows um, you just thought well shit it's those guys can play cards I can play cards <laughs> and uh, you just started uh, doing it all the time I mean I think I had a home game that was going on almost like three times a week at some point which is a lot of time for a director. And what what games were you spreading? What, what was going on in the game? Uh, well, I mean, the the actual games were like it started off with like hold'em and then tournament style, then um, some. Uh, then we went 
limit, um, and then some knuckleheads that let's just play no limit. You know? <laughs> uh, and then, but it was never never that big of a game uh, because you know the funny thing is uh, I'm admittedly very wealthy, you know, uh, <laughs> but. The funny thing is, uh, as a director, you don't hang out with other directors. And actually, there are not that many other directors that, that believe it or not, that successful. You know, like if if you look at like the actual the world of directors, they're like the Michael Bay's and the Spielbergs. It's like the winner takes all. You think the one percent is bad in in normal world? Well, in directing world, it's like there's a few directors that make everything. And then there's some direct, and then the rest of the directors, like like 99% of them, make practically nothing, right? Like uh, even when you see those directors on TV, they actually don't make that much money. There's a there's a cap of what, what those guys do. So even those guys aren't that wealthy. I happen to fall somewhere in the middle. You know, I'm a very successful director, but I'm not Spielberg or Bay, so I don't have that type of money. But I have enough that like the other directors can't really sort of play poker with me. And then um, and then especially all my other friends who aren't directors and stuff like that. Uh, especially when I was younger and, and more single, um, you would be the one that sort of feeds everybody and and uh, and takes everyone out. And if you want to go to a nice restaurant, no one else can afford it, so you'd sort of like pay for everybody. Well, imagine that now happening in poker, right? So what are you gonna do? Give everybody money to play against you? No. So the stakes are always gonna be super low because you know, like where where, where you can conceivably play for thousands of dollars. You know, a hundred, two hundred dollars uh, in a night is going to be a lot for most of your friends. So my blinds for like fifty cents, one dollar, no limit. And um, and anyway, that's the justification of why my home game was so low. <laughs> uh, and 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 then in terms of the games, it'd be like you know, hold them. Then we moved into like pot limit, Omaha, Big O. Uh, there's you know, there's just other variations of games. We played a lot of wild games, and then we just sort of like there's a, there was a version of it where we would just like every person got to choose what game they wanted to play as we moved around the table. Anything and everything. Uh, when you were describing your status as a director and I guess where you fall on the rung, I kind of but feel you're being slightly self-deprecating. And this is probably a rather simplified and crass way of looking at it, but you are kind of the Spielberg of, of music videos. You're the, the guy, right? I mean, is there an artist you haven't worked with? Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's definitely... Like there's a like Justin Bieber is an example of someone I haven't worked with. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot uh, that I haven't worked with, especially some of the newer artists. Um, because you know, being the Spielberg of music video is like saying I'm the Spielberg of I don't know garbage collectors or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, or I'm the Spielberg of sleeping in vans. <laughs> it's like uh, there's no money in music videos for the most part. I've somehow extracted as much money as you can doing music videos. Uh, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's a very very low paying uh, gig. In fact, I heard one commissioner, and it's changed over the years. There used to be a lot of money in the two thousands, um, and then it, it literally dried up as soon as every one of you fuckers started listening to Napster and all that other shit, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then there's no money all of a sudden, and it, some of it came back. But I remember for like many many years, commissioners would say something like, "Well, if that director made any money off a of music video, I failed my job." And it went from like oh. budgets of like millions of dollars to literally people trying to make videos for five hundred dollars. You know, so wow. how are you going to make money off stuff like that? Um, and 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 to be very honest, even to this day, I you know as much as I'm known as a music director, I actually direct commercials a lot more. Um, I do maybe you know a handful of videos a year, and the rest of the year is just spent doing car commercials and things. So let's uh, let's talk about that five hundred dollar budget because that's the first budget you had to work with was probably less than that, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the first budget 
when you're when you're starting out, you're going to end up like spending your own money. So, um, well, my, my first video that I, I did for other people was back in 1990, and that was like a forty dollar rap video or something, right? And then I think I moved up to a hundred dollars on a rock video. I have uh, to know when it's a forty dollar rap video. What do you spend the forty dollars on? Uh, I, I I'm trying to remember back snacks. This is- <laughs> like 30 years ago, dude. So, uh, I, you know, I remember uh, I stole. Uh, it was at the University of Houston, and I, I friended up some people that like worked in the studio there. So I, I kind of stole their studio, brought in the rappers. I think I paid lunch. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think I paid lunch for some of my like other friends. Now here's the thing: like, I'm Asian. Uh, but I'm Korean, and I had friends that were Vietnamese back then. And the Korean kids, we were like, like the typical Asians that like um, that just like to study and and just make good grades and become doctors and shit, right? Uh, my friends were Vietnamese who, at that time in Houston, Texas, were degenerate like fucking bad kids, you know. <laughs> and so I remember I hired my Vietnamese kids, and 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 but they were buck wild. And I remember like at one point, like I had this trick where. Where uh, like like I built a set sideways and then I, to make it look like they were sitting up straight and then someone would pour a glass of water but the water would splash on someone else's face and um and like I had some of my Vietnamese go grab the water from like, from the bathroom and later on they told me that it was toilet water I'm like you fucking <laughs> asshole <laughs> just bad fucking kids bad so uh, I know there's a lot of Vietnamese poker players but y'all bad very bad. <laughs> I think Joseph can get away with saying that. I'm not really sure. That's one of the things I like most about him, James, is he's like a pretty unfiltered guy. And uh, I think that some of that is is refreshing uh, at this day and age. That what you just mentioned, they were building the set on the side. Like, obviously, you were doing that as a teenager. When you were when you come up with concepts like that, which um, you've done in lots of music videos, you're somewhat uh, I wouldn't say somewhat. You're quite original and a lot of the things you've come up with. Um, would you agree with that, that you're original? Or are you borrowing from other people? I think all art is a borrow, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't think that there are any completely original ideas, because let's face it, you're building um, you're yeah. building communication. Right? What is communication but things you've heard before, right? If I'm communicating with you, and I say an original word, well, the word still has to be Latin-based or, or whatever dialect we're, we're talking and whatever region of the world we are. But you're, you're finding a way to combine the word or, or skew the word in a way that is still recognizable but new and maybe means a little bit more by combining two different words together. The word doesn't pop out of nowhere, and you don't really understand it unless it's based on something. Well, creativity and filmmaking is communication. So if you're coming up with a new idea, it's based on something. Now, the trick is if it's completely ripping off something, then you haven't come up with a new idea. You've just literally just copied something. But whatever is quote-unquote new is based on something built in a way, probably combining two different ideas or three or four or whatever that existed before in the ether of of the common canon of knowledge that you have of that particular thing um, delivered in a new way. So kind of like the Fast and Furious delivers torque in a new way. Exactly. They, <laughs> dude, I did a movie called Torque. Uh, your listeners don't know this because uh, no one's really seen it, or if they did, they made fun of it and switched the channel. Yeah. But it, it came out in 2004, 
Uh, and I'm telling you, uh, I got fucking killed on that movie. It was my one movie for Warner Brothers. I made for $30 million. I was 28 years old and didn't know what the hell I was doing, so I did whatever the hell I wanted to do, uh, which you're not supposed to do in a studio film. And to this day, uh, if you watch the Fast and Furious movies, like I think uh, Torque came out right after Fast and Furious 2. Um, pieces of Torque have been popping up in the Fast and Furious series since then, including ultimately the tone. Because I remember like when Torque first came out, everybody made fun of it because it was like so over the top and ridiculous. And I had them doing all sorts of crazy things. But there's a train sequence in Torque that pops up in like five. Uh, like there's a like I think Han comes out now, like the Asian dude, and he's like eating chips and shit like that. Well, there's a fucking Asian guy eating chips, and <laughs> it's like just all sorts of crazy shit in Torque that's just been popping up. But, but yeah, that is the um, that is the essence of creativity, right? But for, I guess think for the Fast and Furious sequence, look at Torque. I guess Torque is the the secret canon that no one knows about that now becomes the uh, the the new thing for everybody else. With your work on commercials, Joseph, am I right in thinking that you have history with this company that you once made a PokerStars commercial? I did. When was I, that? Uh, that uh, gosh, was it like two thousand nine or something like that? Two thousand seven. Oh I, man, I that was a real that was a real good time to be to be cashing in on the online poker industry. Yeah, and I, by then I had been playing poker for uh, a couple years, um, hardcore. So. I remember like when uh, the assignment came up and I had to go compete against other people um, to, to get the job. Because whenever a director goes for commercial, you're actually bidding against like uh, like five other directors. And, and, and what happens is you get on this phone call and you sort of pitch what you're going to do to the commercials. Like they give you the idea that in general what they want. And the director then has to say, this is how I'm going to direct it. And the, the sucky thing about the job is that on every job, it's going to be like, five other directors pitching it and those other five directors are hardcore <laughs> you're not competing against like uh, uh like you know random film school students you're competing against other people with huge reels themselves so essentially on every commercial you're bidding against like five of the best directors in the world like literally the world and you've got to win every job from them and in in my case uh it's you know, you have to have an advantage. And when I it was a poker commercial, I just knew poker at that point. Yeah. I, I knew I knew how to play it. I knew the strategy. Uh, you know, which is a huge advantage just in terms of talking to these guys in the first place. But then I also knew all the, uh, the players that I'd seen on the WBT. I knew who Negreanu was. I knew uh, Mercier was. I knew all these people, and uh, I was excited. I was generally excited to do the commercial. And then as a filmmaker, um, you know, like. It, part of your job is just to figure out visually how to tell stories and the entire idea of how to tell a poker story of like, how do you sort of reveal cards and, and do it in a way that's exciting and, and visually interesting in 30 seconds. That was an incredibly exciting assignment for me. And, uh, I, uh, I, I was actually super stoked when I got it. And then when I actually got the job and then I met all the poker players and it was the first time I met, uh, Daniel, who's actually a friend of mine now. Um, the thing that was actually really quite shocking about it, and I had worked with many celebrities before in different capacities, you know, obviously uh, actors and, and singers and all that stuff. But in general, in Hollywood, when you meet these people, they're not who they appear to be because they're acting, right? Yeah. Um, so when you, find, when you meet their actual personalities, uh, they're actually very far from what they project themselves to be, even a singer, right? Like the way the singer talks, not how you expect them. But when I met, like, Daniel... He is exactly as he appears to be he is. Uh, on 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 a show. Like like when he's playing, and then you meet him in real life, 
it's like a one-to-one comparison. There is like no difference between actual Daniel and celebrity Daniel. He's the exact same guy, and it blew my mind. For it's better or for worse, he's the exact same guy. <laughs> it, it was the first time that ever happened to me and anyone that is famous on any sphere. So based on that experience of making the commercial with Daniel, is that when you cast him in the Katy Perry video? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, at that point, I just thought Daniel's just like such a great person. I like putting him in all sorts of things, actually, when I can. Um, he's, so Daniel yeah. has a very bizarre cameo embodied where he's playing poker in a library. <laughs> It was actually not written for Daniel. Um, it was just written for um, like just some regular student, and it was it was actually kind of like a real line. Like it, the context is, we have a character, the hero. He's in the library, and um, and he's talking too loud, and all these students tell him to basically shut up. And then um, someone says, uh, I'm, "I'm studying here." And in in the script, it actually is a person studying. But by the time I got to that scene, I had Daniel playing poker with a bunch of guys, and Daniel's dressed up in a, as a professor. And he goes, uh, "You know, I'm studying here." So it's so ridiculous, but it pops out of nowhere. And I, you know, the vast majority of people probably don't know who that is. But any poker player will go, "What? That is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen." <laughs> it's an Easter egg for the poker fans. Obviously, we've now moved on to motion pictures. If getting an advertising gig is hard, how hard is it to get a film gig and to get a film actually off the ground? I mean, it's extraordinarily hard because people don't even watch movies anymore. People watch Netflix and Hulu, and I don't think there's any difference now between someone watching a two-hour movie and and a sixteen-hour TV show. Uh, it's it's. It's really weird to me when people complain about the length of a movie. They'll complain about The Irishman being three and a half hours long, but they'll watch 10 episodes of a TV show. It kind of seems like the same thing to me. It it absolutely is. And you know what else is really funny? People don't even watch those 10 hours, those individual hours straight through. People usually just pause it. You know, they'll go to the bathroom. They'll go do something else. They'll go back and play 10 more minutes, 15 minutes or whatever. Um, And you can do the same thing with The Irishman. (laughs) It's just – I think what it is is that the structure of TV is based on cliffhangers every 45 minutes when the show ends. And movies don't do that. Movies are, are much more of a progressive uh, investment of, um, of, of, uh, of attention. Um, so I think maybe there's just like little sort of cliffhangers that don't happen in movies as much as you expect on TV shows. But then at the same time, I think the emotional impact of, of having just artificial cliffhangers um, kind of wears you out. It's, like, it's, almost like, it's almost like sex, right? Like if you're having – uh, really good anticipatory sex. The the climax at the end of like two hours of tantric sex might be amazing, or you can have a series of tiny little orgasms all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. I want to talk about bodied for a little bit because I think I think bodied. Uh, I don't mean this to be a backhanded compliment. Is like is like a, a nearly a masterpiece. Like bodied is a really good movie. Um, it kind of flew under the radar, obviously, because of where it was released on YouTube, stuff like that. But um, I kind of am interested in how it came to be because you didn't write bodied, right? And the script is so good. How did you find it? And how do you decide, like, you know, you can't make a movie every year. You're self-funding. How do you decide, like, what it is that you're going to put your heart and your soul and your cash into? So uh, bodied uh, is, uh, for those of you that don't know, is about battle rap. Um, it's it's kind of – it's a battle rap – there's two things that I've always been really interested in that are outside the film world that are like kind of a hobby thing for me. One is poker and the other is battle rap. Not that I rap, 
but I love the the punchlines of battle rap uh, on a creative level and and just people insulting the fuck out of each other, uh, and that is something I do in real life anyways. I just don't rap it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I wanted to do uh, uh, like a movie or TV series about either one of those, um, but. Battle rap became much more pushed to the fore. Actually, I, I did try to do a poker TV show for a while that was narrative. I, I presented it to various companies, and every one of them, the problem is that, to be realistic, it's poker is predominantly dominated by young men, you know? Um, and that's who I wanted to focus on. And when I showed that real world, uh, the problem is there's a lot of female executives in Hollywood and, 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 and every company is at least a female executive who reads the script and goes, that is so disgusting. Um, it's like entourage, but worse, uh, we're never going to make this thing. You know? So I was like, ah, I got to give up on the poker thing. It's just, uh, not politically correct to do a, a show like this if you're going to do it realistically. Um, so then I flipped over to battle rap and the funny thing is that in the last couple of years, it got so politically correct where you literally can't say anything. And it started affecting creative work because uh, it, it's funny. Nowadays when I do videos, and it never used to happen back in the 2000s, um, you actually play defense a lot. Who is this going to offend? Um, how can I present this in a way that no, no one's getting offended? <laughs> um, what are the repercussions of doing this? Uh, like I was just talking to um, – um, do you know who um, – uh, Ryan Tedder is. Uh, you, sounds familiar. He, he is sounds the so familiar. He is the lead singer for um, uh, One One Republic, and okay, he's also yeah. and and One Republic is like a huge rock band. They they they're, they're probably sold more records than anybody at this point, maybe aside from Maroon Five. And he produces a lot of music for people. Like and so I did this video for Jonas Brothers called uh, "What's a Man Got to Do." Well, um, you know one of the biggest problems of "What's a Man Got to Do" that they were trying to figure out. And this is very controversial. Okay. They were trying to figure out if you could actually say man uh, because uh, that would be gender uh, specific wow. and not binary, right? And they were Yikes. like, like literally, they're like, they didn't know if they could release a song called What's a Man Gotta Do, right? So that's the world that we live in now. And um, ultimately, they're, their gamble was that they would just go ahead and release it and hopefully they would court, uh, like, like, sort of not court any controversy. Uh, we got past it. But you just don't know. Uh, so I did a Taylor Swift video uh, for Wildest Dreams. It was set in Africa. It was set in the 1950s. And it was like based on the African Queen and different movies like that. Um, and I remember like as soon as it came out, we got slammed like because everybody said that we were uh, approving apartheid and 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 being racist. And there's like like literally there's like not even a shred of the stuff in there. Um, it was it just, just happens to take place in Africa. And actually, if you actually watch the video at the end, it may not even actually take place in Africa, but in a studio. It's the way it's all set up, right? And and so, anyways, I remember going on online and trying to defend myself because I'm not the person that just rolls over. I mean, other oh, directors. Good, good luck with that. Yeah. Well, the directors would go in there and and just like sort of apologize. I'm not going to apologize for being something I'm not, which is racist. I'm just I'm I'm not. In fact, and here's the reality. I try to point out, uh, like a lot of my crew were black. I mean, not not just like um, not just uh, uh, like you know like PAs. And I'm talking about actual like like key players. Like my producer was black, and my assistant director, who's actually the uh, the person who runs the says black. My editor is black. My my location manager is black. And it's like 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 these are all and they're all my friends. 
and uh, and uh, I and I and I said, uh, you know, this is a, you know, we had a lot of black people, and nobody said anything. Uh, and then people would say, well, now you're saying you have, you're not racist because you have black friends. But I remember going like, actually, I said I had hot black friends, and so I was just making <laughs> it worse. <laughs> you know? And um, and I remember like, no matter what I said, I, I just, it, and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like the Black Lives Matter people that were like, like on my butt. It was just like white people that wanted to be. F- be cool or some shit. I don't know. I don't know what the hell was going on at that point. But I remember going like, "Holy shit, this is this is a movie." Uh, I don't know how to make this a movie, uh, but it's a movie. And then I just remember battle rap where you could say anything and, and offend the shit out of each other, um, and that's just literally the name of the game. So uh, I transferred sort of the, uh, the social elements of that particular experience into battle rap and made a movie about free speech. Cool. Uh, yeah, and you really did. I mean, it's it's fantastic. You guys should really check it out. And I actually, um, we probably have to move on to the game pretty soon. Uh, I've probably got to cut you loose, but I just want to let people know, Joseph is a great Twitter follow, and I tend to land on the side of wokeness uh, in a lot of these things, and the sort of whack wokeness sometimes. And Joseph brings me back down to earth a lot of the time. So I just want to say, I do really appreciate your perspective, and I appreciate Bodied, and I think that if it uh, ends up on a platform that more people are used to watching movies on, let's say at Netflix or something like that, I think that this could be one of those movies that in the future that like has a, has like a, a rebirth once people discover it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a funny thing because, uh, uh, one, I should tell you, uh, this should be interesting to the poker people. Um, you know, like I had poker players invest in the movie, um, like, uh, Seidel and, and Negrano or, or two, you know, and, um, you know, I, I owe the money and I have to pay them back, right? Which I do <laughs> a lot. Uh, but on the same time, uh, like we did make a, quite a bit of money, but not as much as you could, because uh, what happened is the movie is very offensive and purposefully offensive. But by the time and and we took it to like Toronto International, which is uh, Toronto National, which is actually a huge festival uh, for films. And we won the audience award there, right? Then we went to the American Film Institute thing. We won the award there, audience award. Went to Fantastic Fest, won the, the audience award there. So you would think a movie like this that's winning audience awards at very prestigious places would uh, would get huge buyers involved, right? No. Every one of the majors looked at the film and go, this is too offensive. Um, they're saying the N-word. They're saying the F-word. They're, they're making fun of races and sexualities and all this stuff. In the context of a comedy and battle rap, so – like even though we're making fun of racism, because we're saying racist things for a joke, literally everybody kind of avoided us, um, and so it's kind of in a limbo land right now. Uh, it's only on YouTube Premium, um, but I, I, I don't know. Like I, I've, I've got this award-winning film with that's the New York Films uh, film, film Critics pick, but because the world is so afraid of uh, offending people, this movie is slightly buried at this point. So you've got to really. Um, look for it. Although I got a DVD release and a, a Blu-ray release, and it's on iTunes finally. So yes, I was going to say here in the UK, where a lot of our, our listeners are, it, it is in the iTunes store. If anyone wants to to check it out, I had one final question, Joseph. Before we move on to Joe's game, Joe was just recommended you as a great Twitter follow. I have to ask, do you have those moments though where you just want to abandon social media with all of the petty fights that you must get into, whether it's Taylor Swift fans demanding robots in videos or or, or something more 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 serious and political or controversial? No, you know why? Because um I realize basically essentially being a marketer for 30 years, no matter how much controversy comes your way, uh as a public figure 
the the trick is to just stay public. Whether good or bad, as long as you're in the public, you exist. And the fact that people even care what I say uh, puts me an ed- puts an edge over me versus every other director that I compete against. And people would normally go, "Oh, he's too controversial because he said, you know, something about cats, and I'm a cat lover, or or, or actually more specifically, pit bulls." If we're being honest, right? <laughs> uh, like if he says something about pit bulls, and I love pit bulls, and now I'm going to get every pit bull person in the world to ban this guy. Well, I got to tell you something. At the end of the day, the artists ultimately don't care because the ones that care about whether or not pit bull people listen to them are thinking about the wrong demographic. Uh, and the ones that are successful are the ones that just want a great video that gets a lot of attention, you know. And um, when people ultimately write the articles about why a video exists or, or doesn't, they don't care about the director. They just care about what the message of the artist is saying. And 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 I guess what people are afraid of is getting canceled or whatever the hell that means these days. You can't cancel anybody. I'm sorry. It's impossible. People think they can cancel something, but the cancel is up to the individual person who wants to cancel themselves. The only way someone can actually cancel you on social media is if you actually choose to cancel yourself and say, I'm taking myself out of it and I'm done. Then that person has actually canceled you. But if you stick around, what happens to every cancel in the world? It goes away. Literally. It may may have like – um, like it used to be like a week of controversy, and now the cycle is so quick, and people are are, are so uh, full of ADD that they're they're they're. I, I I even see it. The heat of of whatever controversial you say literally lasts maybe a couple hours now, and then people move on. It's it's kind of insane how how uh, short our attention span is. So in yeah. a world of short attention spans, why are you afraid of getting canceled when no one can even remember what the hell they did the day before? I think that's a solid point. And again, an answer that I wouldn't have expected from you, one that if I had heard come from someone else, I might have been like, eh, but you make it make perfect sense. I know you have something you have to get to. Do you have a minute to play our game? If not, I can I can cut you loose. Uh, what is this game? Uh, it's, it's a trivia game based on your own iconic music videos. It's called More Like Joseph Icon. Am I right? Okay. God. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> Appropriate response. Okay, question number one. Very easy. If, and also, if you feel like if any of these um, spurn any anecdotes about said videos, um, feel free to share them. Also, I got this off Wikipedia, so if I accidentally credit you with a video that's not yours, uh, I do apologize. Uh, question one. In the Joseph Iconic video for Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl, local townspeople are wandering through the fairgrounds in search of what? And I have multiple choice in case you need it. Okay, so uh, Wikipedia, this shows you how whack Wikipedia is. (laughs) Like, one, it's an incomplete source. It's just randomly sourced, so it's not even showing all my videos. Two, they get shit wrong completely. Is that one wrong? That one's wrong. Good. I did did direct a Living Dead Girl video for Rob Zombie, but it was the tour video where I went on tour Uh with him. The actual video. That's the the only one that I wasn't sure was right or not. I think the rest of these are all yours. Yeah, so the the one that they everyone keeps rever- I didn't have shit to do with that. <laughs> Skip to Britney. Look- Skip to Britney. Okay, here we go. Question the real question number one. Honestly, it didn't look like one of yours. That's why I said that at the beginning. Uh, real question number one in the Joseph iconic music video "Toxic" by Britney Spears, which iconic landmark can be seen in the background while Britney and Tyson Beckford ride their motorcycle? The Eiffel Tower. That is correct. Didn't even need the choices. Question number two. In the Joseph Iconic music video, Waking Up in Vegas, what was the size of the pot Katy Perry wins against Daniel Negreanu? 
Oh my god, I, I actually don't remember that. <laughs> was it 1.1 million, 12.7 million, 15.5 million, or 17.2 million? What was I thinking back then? Was I trying to be realistic or was I trying to be ridiculous? Uh, I'm going to go with the, the second highest one. Was it like 7 million? The second highest one was 15.5 million. All right, let me, let me go with that. 17.2 million is what we were looking for there. Very specific, nitpicky trivia question. That, that's like so lame of a, of a thing. You should like spread them out. 100 million, 17 million, 1 million. Like, like I you, thought it would be easy for you. <laughs> you killed me by 2 million. Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> at that point, true. like, that's. I thought maybe the 17. Like, 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 like. 10%. That's a lame-ass fucking math question. You fail. And spoiler okay, alert, uh, spoiler alert, Daniel wins it all back later on in the video. <laughs> uh, also, um, by the way, that this is exactly how the games always go. The person's always like, this is really stupid. Why are we doing this? Question number three. In the Joseph Iconic music video, Without Me by Eminem, the song by Eminem, which word does not appear as one of the comic book sound effects? Is it sploosh? Splash, Kapow, or Pathum? Oh my god, you you did your 10% thing again, didn't you? It's a sploosh <laughs> or a splash. I would I would probably go with uh, Splash. Sploosh and Splash are both in. Oh jeez. Without me, Kapow was the one that was not in the music video. God, I had, I, I had this image of Kapow going right over Eminem's dick. You know, like, because he thrusts his <laughs> camera, and, and I, I put something over, and I thought Kapow was his dick. So, all right. Question number four. In the Joseph Iconic music video, Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, which has 1.34 billion views, by the way, which of the following cars is featured? You know what? You're going to hate this question, too. Forget <laughs> okay. that one. It's all a bunch of Jaguars. Uh, here we go. What was... <laughs> Uh, in the music video for Enrique, Enrique Iglesias' Hero, what is the name of the motel that is featured? Is it Rob's? Is it Rick's? Is it Roy's? Or is it the No-Tell Motel? Jesus Christ, dude. I shot that video like 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Roy's. Roy's is correct. All right. Final, final question here. In the Joseph Iconic music video for the Backstreet Boys song, Everybody, this is one of yours, right? Uh, yep. What monster does Nick Carter turn into? The mummy. The mummy is correct. Didn't even need the choices. That is it for the game. Sorry about the 10 percenters, buddy. We appreciate your time. I could talk to you all day. Seriously, very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Don't go broke. Thank you for your time, <laughs> Joseph. Really enjoyed having you on the show. in the ears. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. It's time to say hello to our first Superfan of 2020. Greetings to Alex Sadler from the UK. Hello, Alex. Hi, guys. How you doing? Alex, what's up, man? Your connection sounds kind of mediocre. Yeah, that's uh, you can blame my office for that one. I'm uh, I'm currently working. Uh, I would normally work from home, but working from the office, so you can blame them. Wait a second, I was trying to make an inside joke to the uh, 
to the uh, tweet you sent me this week. Did you not call me mediocre? What was your exact words? I did, and I'm going to ignore it. No, I no, I called your uh, I called your uh, your comedy your comedy medi- mediocre at best. But it's uh, it was all in jest. I promise. Ish. Well, we turned it into a decent joke. Hey, you, you know it's Sadler. Sad. It's a sad pun, guys. Liking this movie, Interstellar. Okay, okay. I'm going to step in here, Alex, because I have a huge issue with this. In fact, I think I have a bigger issue with you not liking this movie, Joe, than I do with you liking fucking La La Land. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm with that. Completely with that. Oh, my God. You guys, you know, you know, I, I was like loving this movie until the magical bookcase. I it's hope that there's a, a lot tesseract, of questions. which has been deliberately constructed in the form of a bookcase so that he can understand it because it was built by humans in the future. Sorry, this is a huge spoiler, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen Interstellar. <laughs> Ruined the film completely. If anyone, anyone. It, maybe if they had made the movie into a giant bookcase, I would have understood it. Okay. Is this, if, like, is this like a mediocre science knowledge thing from, from your side? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Owned. <laughs> It's clearly a lack of understanding. Uh, And also, I I don't think you connect with this movie as emotionally as some people do as well. Because you're fucking soulless. No, I'm not soulless. Look, I get it that this is like a movie for for dudes that have daughters. Like, obviously, like, it's just going to grab you by the feels, James Hardigan. Alex Sadler, are you a dude with a daughter? Are you a hashtag girl dad? Uh, I'm not, and it'd be a horrible surprise to find out I am. <laughs> you just appreciate the artistry of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I went to see Hans Zimmer live at the O2. Like the music score, everything, solid film. And if you don't understand it, that's like completely your fault. I I really I don't know if it's my fault, but uh, I certainly admit <laughs> to not understanding it. Uh, so t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, okay, um, based in London, uh, twenty twenty five. Played poker for quite a few years. I'm, I would say that I'm relatively uh, sort of good friends with a lot of the Twitch streamers and a few of the PokerStars staff. I even stole uh, stole some of your commentary action when I was at Moneymaker Tour in Dublin. I had uh, I had a couple of stints, uh, two-hour stints on the commentary with GJ Reggie, and uh, I actually did a bit with Chris Martin and a few others as well, some of the guys that were in Dublin. So whoa, that, whoa, that whoa. you cool. worked with Chris Martin from Coldplay? No, I mean, not, I mean, They're not all as cool. yellow too. No, the uh, unfortunately, the Twitch mod, the less interesting one. Um, so we, we did some we did some commentary uh, in Dublin and had uh, some really good. I'm currently sitting on the all time number of scores list for Lex Live Two, so four caches there, about to show five grand for the week, and I'll, I'll be at Lex Live Three as well. So small plug for Lexa. I feel like everyone is just in the poker industry now. Like there's no more separation between poker fan and and poker employee like it's just you're like no like i'm a kind of a fan but also i just do commentary i'm glad i like worked my way up through the media ranks when i could have just been friends with pie face and uh gj <laughs> reggie it's funny you say that though because the, the the media content that the poker you know the streamers and twitch guys in yourself are out is out there forever you know all the way from youtube to twitch so you know the the, the media aspect is part of the area i work in but the media aspect is got a lot more longevity than, than live poker does which is why it's moving over to content creators you know that's that's the next big era of poker that's why people can get involved like me content creator that's just way too many syllables for what it really is okay well this is not about turning you into content creator this is trying to get you to an ept because We've got EPT Sochi satellite tickets up for no, grabs. No, no, we're, t- we're turning him into content. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we don't worry. We get our pound of flesh out of this. Uh, I have got 
I've got to count them. There are 12 questions about the movie Interstellar divided into two rounds, and we're going to deal with round number one first, which is called Who Plays? And it's guessing the actor or determining the actor who played a particular character in the movie. Uh, there are six questions in this round, all of which have bonuses attached. Alex, as our guest, as our super fan, uh, you get to go first. Please give me a number one through six. That's right. It's not always coming seven because oh. it only goes up to six. Oh, wow. Rubbish. All right, we'll go for one. Start at the bottom. Number one. Who plays Old Murph? Oh, God. Um, no multiple choice options here. This is about knowledge. Is it Ellen Burstyn? It is Ellen Burstyn for one point. And there is wow. a bonus question attached. You may remember her as the mother of a sick child in which 1970s horror movie? <sighs> 1970s. I was minus 24. Um, Don't give me that shit. You should know James. this film. James, this might be the only one I can get. I know I can't steal a bonus question, but at least let me... You can. Have a... Bonuses oh, can I be can. stolen. Oh, excellent. If I do not get the correct answer from Alex Sadler, this question's coming over to you, Joe Stapleton. God, the only one I know she was in was The Exorcist. Which is the answer. Congratulations, you picked up the bonus oh, point. Get in. That was lucky. <laughs> uh, Joe, you can have two through six. Uh, that answer is very suspect. Very, very suspect. All right, just go to question two. Question number two. Who plays Donald, Cooper's father-in-law? Who plays Donald, Cooper's See, I know this one. I knew this one. Um, Judd Hirsch. Incorrect, and you can steal. It's John Lithgow, right? It is John Lithgow for a point. Joe, God, you get the bonus. So you I was get so the bonus. Much closer than I thought I would be in that one. Okay. Joe, you remember John? You may remember John Lithgow as the Trinity Killer in which overrated TV drama? Dexter. For one point, you're on the board. Congratulations. And Alex, it's your second question: three, four, five, or six. Let's go three. Who plays the school principal? What? Um, it's David something, but I can't remember his last name. Joe, oh, you can no. steal. Do you know his last name? I just gave you half the answer. <laughs> um, well, you actually didn't uh, specify what movie you're talking about, so who played the principal. So I'm going to say Dane Cook, who played the principal in Joseph Kahn's Detention. Okay, just to be clear, this is a quiz about the film Interstellar. The school principal was played by David Ayolowu, and you do get oh, the bonus question here, uh, Alex. You may remember, David, as Agent Callus in which animated Star Wars series? Oh. Oh, God, I'm going to be executed. This is it Star Wars Rebels. It is Star Wars Rebels for one oh, point. Racking my brain here. Okay, Joseph, four, five, or six? Let's just keep it going in order, Jeopardy style, four. Okay, question four. Who plays Doyle, the astronaut killed on the ocean planet? Matt Damon. Incorrect. You can steal, Alex. I have absolutely no idea. I the can answer, picture his face, can't remember. The answer is Wes Bentley, and your bonus question, Joe, is you may remember Wes as one... Sorry, you may remember him as the weird kid in which Oscar-winning 1999 movie? American Beauty. Correct, for one point. Uh, Alex, what? you have a 4-2 lead. You can have five, you can have six. I'll take five, keep it in order. Okay, who plays adult Tom, Cooper's son? Um, I can't remember. 
I think he's related to someone famous as well, but I, I, I skip. Can't remember. Joe. Adult Tom Cooper's son. Uh, I'm gonna go with Adam Sandler. You should have followed the clues that Alex gave you there. Related to someone famous, it's Ben Affleck's brother, Casey Affleck. Your oh. bonus question. Your bonus question, Alex. You may remember him as one of the Malloy brothers in which 2001 crime caper? What? Um. Oh, I was only 10 years old. I can't remember that. All right, calm down, oldie. No, I can't remember. Joe? Uh, let's see. I'm gonna, uh, it's Oceans and uh, Alex's age at the time, 11. <laughs> Correct, for <laughs> one point. Okay, 4-3 is the score. Joe, your question in this final round. Question number six, who plays Getty, the doctor who works with Murph? I know this hold one. on. I know, uh, hold on. It's not, it's not Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's the other Philip Seymour. You're not gonna get it, so I'm gonna throw it over to Alex to steal. It, it's like that weird pronunciation. It's like Toffer Grace or something. It or is Toffer Grace. Grace. It? But oh, Joe, wow. You get the bonus question. Okay. You may remember him as Venom in which Marvel movie? He played Venom not in Venom, but in Spider-Man 3. Correct for one point. So at the end of that round, Alex, you have a 5-4 lead. We now get into the more traditional trivia questions with the multiple choice options available. So please give me a number between one and six. I will go for one again. What is the name of the black hole that the planets orbit? Gargantua. Correct for two points. Joe, any question other than one? Question number two. What's the name of the ship that Cooper pilots into space on the mission to find a new home for mankind? There's no options for these either? There are options, yes. I'll take the options. I'm just, but before you read them, my guess would have been the USS Interstellar. Okay, that is not one of the options. <laughs> so you're right to take the multiple choice possibilities. Is it Enterprise, Endurance, Expectation, or Eternity? Oh man, I don't think I'm gonna eliminate Expectation. I'm gonna get rid of Enterprise. Endurance, what is it? Where are the other two, Endurance and what? Eternity. I'm going to go with Eternity. Should have gone for Endurance. Ah, I've lost all my flips. Uh, three, four, five, or six, Alex. <laughs> keep in order, three. Okay, which poet does Professor Brand keep quoting? Oh, oh no. Oh, my God, it's a really famous quote as well. I'm going to be murdered for this because I actually have it somewhere. Would you like the multiple choice options? Yeah, multiple choice, please. Is it T.S. Eliot, W.B. Yeats, W.H. Auden, or Dylan Thomas? Oh, it's Dylan Thomas. It is Dylan Thomas for one point. And your bonus question, which of Thomas's poems does he quote? Uh, it is, do not go gentle. Keep going. Into that good night. Correct for a bonus point. Oh, you deserve this. You buddy. have a 9-4 lead. Joe, 4, 5, How or 6. How are we not nominated for a Global Poker Award? I know, huh? right? Poetry. It's a disgrace. Joe, 4, 5, or 6. 4, go ahead. What's the name of the scientist who sends false data claiming he's found a habitable planet? 
Uh, I'll take the choices. Is it Dr. Romilly, Dr. Miller, Dr. Man, or Dr. Evil? I like Dr. Romilly. That is a character in the movie, but that is not the character played by Matt Damon. It was Dr. Man. Uh, your penultimate question, Alex. Your final question, in fact. Five or six? Keep it in order. Let's go with five. Okay. One hour on the ocean planet is equivalent to how many years on Earth? Easy. Seven years. Seven years for two points. And, Joe, you get question six. Which theoretical physicist acted as an executive producer and consultant on the film? Uh, boy. I'll give you a clue, if you like. It wasn't the guy that reviewed it. Okay. Well. He's named after one of the robots. Stephen Hawking. Would you like the multiple choice options, Joe? I'll take the choices. Is it Neil deGrasse Tyson, Kip Thorne, Stephen Hawking, or Stephen Weinberg? <laughs> I'll go with Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, it was Kip Thorne, and how is he referenced in the film? Alex just said it. He's one of the robots. As a robot. Uh, okay, so you get one last point at the end, courtesy of Alex. And the final score is five points to Joe Stapleton, ten points to superfan Alex Sadler. Congratulations. Now, not only do you get a couple of EPT Sochi satellite tickets, Alex, you also get to choose one T-shirt from the new range of Poker wow. in the Ears merchandise. You can have Always Coming 7. You can have Everyone Loves a Chop Pot. You can have Hello, My Babies. Or you can have Smell You Later. Which would you like? Uh, I'll take the Chop Pot, please. You can have the Chop Pot t-shirt. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much Just for coming like on the show. Just like we chopped the competition. Even <laughs> Steven. <laughs> Perfectly fair. And hopefully we'll see you at Lex Live 3. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, my babies. We are just about out of time for this uh, season premiere back in 2020. Uh, let's get the shilling out of the way real quick yeah. because we need your help, guys. We 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 begged, we begged and pleaded to bring this show back. We gotta prove ourselves right. Buy a T-shirt, leave a comment, like the show, subscribe to the show, and we've got a whole year's worth of super fans we need to collect now. So use that hashtag. Poker in the ears on Twitter to apply. One thing I would say is that we have got the next few episodes of the show mapped out. We have got super fans booked for the next six weeks, but we're going to need more. So if your calendar is open for the rest of the year, hashtag poker in the ears, apply it with your specialist subject. Um, in terms of what we've got coming up, Joe, it, we've got a deep dive into the global poker awards always controversial uh, an update on the state of the platinum union we're going to catch up with some more pspc qualifiers plus our health and fitness special from last year was so popular <laughs> we're planning a sequel that's right health and fitness 2 with roman numerals awesome and uh, you know coming up next week specifically we know the only reason you guys tune in the show is for the movie and tv talk we're going to briefly catch up on all the shit we've been watching. Actually, a lot of it hasn't been shit. A lot of it's been quite good. And uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about today. Even if we can only spend 10 seconds talking about a few of the things, uh, a one or two sentence review might be all we have time for some of it. But we will talk Star Wars. We will talk Mandalorian. And uh, 
Did we finish Watchmen on the air either? We didn't, so we definitely need to talk about that as well. And someone I know who watched Watchmen is our guest next week. It's the poker community's resident movie expert and Oscars betting guru, Jessica Wellman. Uh, let's get her alternative take yeah. on some of the stuff we've watched, including Rise of Skywalker, and two films I know that she wasn't a huge fan of, The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, and of course... There is the poker-related movie in production right now called The Card Counter that I am still somewhat involved in. I may be heavily involved in this movie by the next episode, James. I'm going to talk to you off the air about that because I have some things to share that I can't quite share on the air right now. But by next week, I should have some things I can tell you guys, some insider info. That should be underway by next week. That is it. That's all the time we got for today's show. It was a good one. It was a long one. Back again next week. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. And once you've seen the film, buy the t-shirt. Smell you later. <laughs>